Well, as I say, this is the time of year that the followers of Jesus start thinking about the cross as we approach Good Friday and get ready for Easter Sunday. We meditate on the cross. And so to help with that, we've been reflecting on a letter that Paul wrote called 1 Corinthians uh, because he says at the beginning of the letter, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That does not mean forget everything except for the cross. That means see everything in the light of the cross. And that's what we're working on as we think about crosswalk, walking out the implications of the cross in every area of our lives. Now, in the section of scripture that we're going to be reading today in 1 Corinthians, Paul turns his attention to our work, our labor, our workplaces, the stuff that we do uh, with our time. So I want to raise with you the question today, you know, it's what the question I've been wrestling with all week. What does the cross have to say about our work? All right, well, let's open up our Bibles, turn or navigate over to 1 Corinthians chapter, 10, uh, chapter 3, verses 10 through 16. I'm going to invite you in a minute, if you're able, to stand with me and read. And when uh, we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. All right? If you're able, let's stand, read God's word aloud together in unison as an act of worship. Starting at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building on it. Each builder must choose with care how to build on it, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid. That foundation is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, the work of each builder will become visible, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If what has been built on the foundation survives, the builder will receive a reward. If the work is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but the builder will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what we just read never will. Please be seated. You're building a building. Somebody else has laid the foundation. There's something underneath your work. What is it? I think Paul is begging two questions. Who are you working for? And why are you working? Don't answer them too quickly. Who are you working for? And why are you working? Last week we learned a prayer. Uh, Please God cross out the eye. It was taught to a missionary named Helen Rosevere by a wise African pastor. Helen was serving in Congo, Zaire, and uh, she was, at this point in her life, exhausted, overwhelmed, burned out, just cooked by her work. Her work. So this prayer, last week we said it's a prayer for our minds to help us think with the mind of Christ, but it's also a prayer for our labors. 
I was interested to see last week in the Seattle Times, January, 4.3 million workers uh, said, take this job and love it. They just, they said, I'm done with this work. I'm out of here, right? Not lost their work, quit their work. And that was just slightly down from the all-time universal uh, high of 4.5 million in November. You know what? We're exhausted, we're overwhelmed, we're burned out, and we're fried. I'm talking about you, nurses and teachers, bricklayers, caregivers, childcare workers. It's like, to use Paul's language, the pandemic has been a sort of a fire. Not just the pandemic, everything these last couple years. It's been like a fire that has disclosed or revealed the work beneath our work, the, the who and the why of our work. Who are you working for? And why are you working? See, because the insight of the text here, God's holy word is this, that we do our best work when we work for God and when our work is an expression of God's great love. This is the work beneath our work. The foundation is the cross and the building material is love. Let me just think with you a little bit about that. The foundation of our work is the cross. Paul says in verse 11, and keep your Bible open. It'll help you to, to see where this comes from. He says, no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid. And then he says, the foundation is Jesus Christ. Don't you wish all the parables were that simple? He like just said, like, I just want to tell you what the image means. The foundation is Jesus Christ. And what he means by that is Christ crucified. Right? Because he's already told us that's everything. The foundation of your work. Christ crucified. A, a crucified Messiah. Again, you've got to let that really bind your, uh, bend your mind. That God would enter into the world to suffer the death of a cursed sinner. That God would allow himself to come in as a human to suffer absolute abject dehumanization. See, see, this is the work of God. That's why it's the only foundation for our work because it's the work that God is doing at the center of history. This is the climax of God's work to reconcile the world, this alien rebel world to himself this way. This is a rescue operation. This is one who comes from the heights of heaven into the depths of Sheol in order to grab those who are lost. This is how he buys back or redeems, we'll hear about this next week, redeems Sinners for his family here, foundation. And the building material, secondly, is love. Now, this is a little bit familiar to us. If you know anything about Jesus, you know he's big on love. For God so loved the world, God loved the world in this way, he gave his only son, John 3, 16. Paul writes elsewhere, God proves his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, didn't wait, didn't say change your life. He says, right now, I love you just the way you are. Christ died for sinners, Romans 5, 8. And then I love this one. Love is strong as death. This is Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 6. Passion, fierce as the grave. The point is, these building materials that we put on top of the foundation, whether they be wood, hay, straw, or gold, silver, precious stones, is that some of them last 
and some of them do not last. Some of them are durable. Some of them come from a renewable source. Some of them are sustainable. Others are not. And, and what, the, what Paul's saying is, when it's God's love, God's love for me, God's love for you, for us, the world, when it's God's love that's motivating us, our work will last in this world and the next. That's the promise. For all eternity, what you do today can last if it's founded on the cross, motivated by God's love. And we'll get to this, but he says in chapter 13, love never ends. That's what he's saying. Never ends. Faith Hope and love abide, endure, abide, remain. These three, and the greatest of these is love. Okay, there was a moment this week where I was at work, at my desk, and I felt absolutely lost. Um, not in the good sense of like lost in my work, but lost, alienated. Um, I've, I've told some of you before, I get writer's block, which is not good when you have a weekly deadline. <laughs> and I was absolutely seized up and just emotionally lost. And it, I, it was hard. And what came to my mind in that moment was a story that Jesus told. Do you remember Jesus one time, he tells a story about a woman Real brief, she's got 10 coins and she's lost one of them. And we don't really know what those coins meant to her, but Jesus says, she turns on a light, she sweeps the house and she searches carefully, and this is the part that meant something to me, until she finds it. And immediately, it was like the Lord was saying to me, George, you're not lost. Let me tell you who I am. I'm like a woman who's lost one coin, still has nine, but I've lost one coin, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna process, right? I'm gonna turn on the light, I'm gonna sweep the house, and I'm gonna search carefully until I find you. And I thought, oh God, this is our God. This is what this cross is all about. This is God coming to sweep all of eternity, to turn on the light of his love until he finds you and me. And this cross shows how far God will go to get us unlost, right, to the depths of hell. He descended into hell, we say, in, in, in the creed. So this is the work beneath our work. It's God's work, the cross. It's God's motivation, love. And I ask again, who are you working for? And why are you working? The cross of Jesus has the power to give us better answers to those questions. So it's, it's not just the epicenter of God's work, but it's also the thing that's kind of the turning point or tipping point for our own work. It brings transition into our lives. So let's go back to this prayer. Helen Roosevelt and her pastor are praying, please God cross out the eye. And as they sit outside by the fire and the pastor, remember he, he, he draws in, in the ground with a stick this eye. And he, and he draws this eye in the ground and he, as though he said, this is Helen, <laughs> Helen in her work, making her mark in the world. And then he draws another line across that one which is to say this is Jesus now crossing out her eye. This is Jesus' mark in the world. This is Jesus' work in and through Helen. And he opened up his Bible and he read to her uh, from Galatians 2.20. And I know last week we were memorizing verses. Maybe some of you memorized this verse. 
Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. That's a reflection on the cross, isn't it? It's as though Paul's looking at the cross and he's seeing himself there. He sees Jesus, this God who's taken on human flesh, dying now before his eyes, but somehow this is my life, Paul says, dying with Christ. A scary thought, but also a a, a liberating thought to see I have now, at this moment, come to the end of myself. This is a cross that invites me to relinquish my uh, own identity to relinquish my ambitions, relinquish my pretenses, relinquish my good works even, my work, before this God who loves me. So he's he's meditating on the cross. He's, He's like, no longer do I live. No longer am I the one who lives. And then the second half of that verse, but it is Christ who lives me, in me, is actually jumping over the cross, looking to the future, to the third day, Jesus is risen from the dead. Here Paul looks to the resurrection and he sees this kind of new life rising in him. This is something, he doesn't feel it, he doesn't see it literally, he sees it by faith. This new life of Christ is now rising up within me and this is true of us, Christian. We're invited now to take on a new identity, a new plan for our lives, a new agenda for our work, new motivation, new set of gifts, new power. Listen to what he says. Do you not know that God's spirit dwells in you? And we're like, yeah, okay, I forgot. (laughs) Right, and we do. So we need to be reminded. Do you not know it's God's spirit who dwells in you? What, What we're seeing here is that the cross of Jesus has a way of cutting us off from work that's about ourselves and joining us to work that Jesus is doing. Somewhere along the line, you and I got the idea that our work is supposed to be about us. We, we think that in 21st century America. We think of work as self-expression. And we've been taught to think about our value in the culture, maybe even in other people's eyes, God's eyes, I don't know, as measured by our productivity. Gosh, this is horrible to reduce ourselves this way, but this is exactly what we do. Why do we do it? David Spencer is a professor of economics at Leeds University, and he traces this all the way back to the mercantilism of the 16th century. It's really a form of propaganda that is designed to benefit the interests of business owners and employers, to squeeze out productivity from laborers, we come to believe that we're only as important as our work is important in an economy, in an economic sense. Now, that's David Spencer, but Bible readers know it goes back even further than the 16th century. We would take it all the way back to Genesis. For example, the uh, Tower of Babel, it's a big tower that's being built by humans east of Eden, and what they say to each other is, come, let us build ourselves a city. Let us make a name for ourselves. And it's become today unquestioned dogma in our rise and grind culture. It's just the way we think about ourselves and our work today. For example, we look to our work for identity. Think of the question we ask little ones. What are you going to be when you grow up? Think about the meaning of that. We don't ask what are you going to do when you grow up. 
It's what are you going to be? Like you're nothing now. Identity, right? Think about uh, how we look for work for fulfillment. We ask ourselves, well, what do you love? Oh my gosh, what a burden. You know, I don't know what I love. What do you love? What are you passionate about? It's interesting because that's the language of the cross. It's a passion narrative in the Gospels, right? We've co-opted the language of the, of the good news and distorted it so that now we think the work is all about fulfilling ourselves. Or it, we, we, we look to work for salvation. Elon Musk said recently, nobody ever changed the world on a 40-hour work week. Well, you know, he's one of the business owners and employers that many of us are working for, one form or another. That's easy for him to say. Well, how much time should we be working, uh, Mr. Elon? And he says, well, about 80 to 100 hours, right? And there's something inside of us that says maybe we should be working that way. Why? To save the world? To change the world? Is that our job? See, all of this makes work about us, about me, I. It's all about meeting my needs. And remember, Luther reminds us so, so, so wisely that your, worth, your work is not supposed to be about meeting your needs. It's supposed to be about meeting the needs of your neighbor. That's good work. When you look at your work and it's all about you, what you have is not a job. You have an idol. An idol. And so coming to the cross, Paul says, here's where my idols come to die. Right here. Comes to die. I uh, remember the story in history of the baptism of the Gauls in the ninth century. When they were baptized, the soldiers, some of them apparently would hold their hand out of the waters of baptism. So they'd like be marched into the river or the lake or whatever. And you'd, they'd go under the water in the name of Christ. But you'd see their hands, their right hand oftentimes. And why? It was their sword hand. They wanted to belong to God, but not that hand, just in case they would need it. And that was their work. And I wonder how many of us today claim the name of Jesus on Sunday and then go right out to work on Monday to make a name for ourselves. We're coming to the cross, we're acknowledging our baptism, but then we're holding out our hand and in that hand there's a keyboard or there's a hammer or there's a stethoscope, there's a diploma or a spatula or a credit card. But God doesn't just want us, he wants our work too. He wants all of us. It is Christ who lives in me. It is Christ who works in me, the apostle says. Who are you working for? Why are you working? Well, St. Paul seems to be saying the cross of Jesus turns us all into kind of a, a spiritual subcontractor, right? Can I think, think, think of myself that way? Are you that way? A spiritual subcontractor. Well, actually, you might say, I'm just a sixth grader. Uh, or actually, uh, you know, I'm retired. Or right now, I feel like I'm, just my, I'm more of a patient than anything else. Or I'm a grandparent or a realtor or a project manager. And after all, what does that kind of work really have to do with God anyways? But when the foundation of our work is the cross, get this, the lowest and the least of work becomes the greatest. This is the greatest work, and it is the lowest and the least of all works. The shame of the cross. Talk about dirty jobs. Here it is. This is God's work. So he's not just talking about holy, sacred church work. And notice what he says in the text. Look again at verse 10, back half of it. He says, let each one take care how he builds. Let each one 
take care how he builds. So he, he's not just talking about himself, Paul, or Apollos, or Cephas, which is Peter. He's talking to every one of his readers. He's talking to artisans and trade people, parents, government officials, soldiers. He's saying, each one of you, take care how you build. There's no other foundation but this. See, somehow we have this false dichotomy between the sacred and the secular, and you will not find that in the Bible. Just three examples of that. Remember, Paul himself was a secular, so-called, you've got to put air quotes on, secular worker. When we read about the church in Corinth, Paul found it. He comes in Acts chapter 18, and he comes in as a tent maker. He comes in as a tradesperson, and we immediately read, he looks for other people in his trade. There's a married couple, Priscilla and Aquila. They're tradespeople just like him. They're all tent makers. They make tents, leather workers, canvas in fact, the text tells us that Paul lived with Priscilla and Aquila while they did their work. Probably if ancient reconstructions of this sort of a city bear out in this case, he, Priscilla and Aquila probably lived in the apartment above the workshop and Paul probably would have slept in the workshop while he was in Corinth there in the, in the sawdust uh, with the leather scraps and the canvas around. That's probably where he spent his night and most of his days working. It was lowly work, but it was good work. In Corinth, they needed awnings and sails, tents, and leather products of all kind. Paul was a secular worker. Jesus, secondly, was a second secular worker. Remember when he comes back to his hometown, they, they say, is this not the carpenter? You know, what's, what pretense? There's a note of disdain there, a carpenter. That, that word that they use is, is also in our text today, and it lives on in the word architect uh, today. Probably we ought to have translated that word construction worker. Jesus was a construction worker. By the way, he probably worked more with stone than he did with wood. Wasn't a lot of, st- of wood in that area and he doesn't talk a lot about wood. He talks a lot about stone. He, he's, a, he's a craftsman uh, with stones. Skilled workers, the text uh, says in 1 Corinthians 3.10. This lowly work, but it's good work. And then thirdly, God reveals himself as a secular worker. You don't want to miss this. Robert Banks, a theologian, identifies 16 jobs. And it's just some of the jobs that God uses to, to reveal himself to creation. God makes himself out in the Bible at one point or another as a composer and performer, a metal worker and potter, a garment maker and a dresser, a gardener and an orc, orchardist, growing trees, a farmer and a winemaker, a shepherd and a pastorless uh, flocks, tent maker and camper, builder and architect. God's a tradesperson. And of course, that makes sense. Just think of the story that we're reading. Chapter one, Genesis, God uh, comes and he shows himself to be a laborer in a, a regular work week. The, the Israelite work week, six days of work, one day of rest. He's a laborer. He gets up and says, God made, God saw that it was good. He does good work. And then on the sixth day, he turns around and he says, hey, you try it. He makes us subcontractors. He creates human beings in his image as stewards of this creation to take his good work and extend it, to care for this creation, to fulfill its purposes. This is what theologians call the cultural mandate. Culture is what we make. He says, go do it. And through all these kinds of disciplines, the garden uh, is on the first day. So we start with a garden on the first day in Genesis chapter one, and we end with a city on the last day at Revelation 20 and 21. 
And in between, to get from a garden to a city, you have to have all this kind of rich work, the work of subcontractors, plumbers, actors, yoga instructors, baristas, parking attendants, chefs, engineers, healers. You try it, he says. You do it. And now you do it for me, and you do it with my love. The cross calls us wholeheartedly into God's work. He calls us. Your work is a calling. That's what, that's what the word vocation means. And that calling comes from the cross. I was stunned a couple years ago by something that Will Willimon wrote, and I've gone back to it during the uh, pandemic. Listen to this. Dr. Willimon says, vocation is not evoked by your bundle of need and desire. <laughs> I get lost in that bundle, by the way. He says, vocation is what God wants from you, whereby your life is transformed into a consequence of God's redemption in the world. Isn't that interesting? Is your work a consequence of God's redemption in the world? This cross says it can be. He remembers the old high school career fair. Did any of you have a career fair when you were in high school? And they bring these various people, a nurse, an accountant, a salesperson. They get five minutes to kind of pitch their field. And the question behind it is, what are you good at? What do you enjoy? What do you want? And they're not bad questions. But those questions, they may get you a career. They will never get you a calling. They will never get you a vocation. Because a vocation or a calling doesn't come from within. It's not your idea. It comes magnificently and terrifyingly from beyond. It comes from the cross, from outside of you. Vocation is what God wants from you, Willimon writes, whereby your life is transformed into a consequence of God's redemption in the world. And brothers and sisters, can I just say, this is the redemption that the world so desperately needs right now. As we feel lost in the news cycles of the moment, the world around us is looking for people, women and men, who have something in them that allows them to stand up to principalities and powers, to confront evil wherever they find it. And that thing is this, Paul says. It is the foundation of the cross. It is the motivation of God's love. See, the cross summons us, it calls us, it summons us to share the pain and desperation of the world so that the world can find redemption and healing in this same place. Who are you working for? Why are you working? We do our best work when we work for God and our work is an expression of God's love. If you come today to this cross, you just might not have to join the great resignation after all. If you have a calling or discover a calling because you're listening to Jesus, yeah, he might call you to leave your job or to change jobs. He might, though, call you to go back to the same job in a new way. And this is what I call the greatest resignation, to go back to work with the power of the cross. Same job, maybe, new you. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Please, God, cross out the eye. I can feel my neck loosening already. My shoulders are beginning to drop. Pray for me this week. I'll pray for you. This would be a different way of going back, wouldn't it, if I really believe this? 
After all, he knows what you can do or can't do in a day. He doesn't ask you to do more than you can accomplish. And he knows what he can do through you and will do. Do you not know? It is the Holy Spirit within you. So this week there's a practice, as there is each week, and the practice is to begin writing a rule of life. If you haven't done so already, please download our Lent uh, study guide. It's at upc.org Lent. You can grab it on your phone right now. Turn to week two, which is about a rule of life, and there's some instructions there for it. Basically, it's a short list of daily or weekly priorities and intentions. And I'd like you to write one intention for your work week, whatever you do. Write down one thing. Maybe that's to start thinking about your work as a calling and to pray about your work. That could be new for some of us. Maybe it's to take a day off in seven and to practice Sabbath. That could be new for many of us. Uh, Maybe it's about engaging an act of kindness in the workplace, something unexpected, maybe even unrelated to your job description. Whatever it is, let it be something that reminds you who you work for and why you really work. Because history will never leave behind what we build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Well, I want to close with a story. Uh, I know a lot of the kids that were in the room have left. You may have some kids with you in the room where uh, you're worshiping at home. And one of our staff said to me this week, you know, George, uh, sometimes you're missing our kids. They're kind of sleeping on the pews. And uh, so I wanted to offer something for the little ones, actually for all of us. I'm going to close with a story uh, today. It was written by George McDonald. It's part of a story in The Genius of Willie McMichael. And in this story, so, go, so wake up your kids or call them over. And this much I think they can get. Okay, so a boy is talking with his father. His name is Willie. Dad, the boy says, does God work? Yes, Willie, it seems to me that God works more than anybody. For he works all night and all day. And if I remember rightly, Jesus tells us somewhere that he works all Sunday too. If he were to stop working, everything would stop being. The sun would stop shining and the moon and the stars. The corn would stop growing. There would be no apples and gooseberries. Your eyes would stop seeing. Your ears would stop hearing. Your fingers couldn't move an inch and... Worst of all, your little heart would stop loving. No, Papa, cried Willie. I, would, I wouldn't stop loving, I'm sure. Indeed you would, Willie. Not you and Mama. Yes, you wouldn't love us any more than if you were asleep without dreaming. That would be dreadful. Yes, it would. So you see how good God is to us to go on working so that we can love each other. Then if God works like that all day long, it must be a fine thing to work, said Willie. You're right. It is a fine thing to work, the finest thing in the world if it comes of love, as God's work does. And that was the day Willie decided to learn how to knit. If God worked, he would work too. And although his work was very small, he knew that it was like all God's great works because for every loop he made, he put a little love looped up in it. Let's pray. God, you looped a lot of love into these strange and horrifying timbers. And we're wound up around so many other things. We just pray that you'd cross us out individually, collectively,
for we believe that the news the world most needs to hear right now is good news. And the only one who can bring it is not somebody who's stuck inside, but somebody who comes from beyond into, to undo, to rewind, to remake, to recreate this beloved creation. We fall before the cross in worship and praise and adoration. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And we yearn for the last day when all that is good shall be revealed and all that is bad shall be remade. In the meantime, enlist us, we pray, in doing your good work. In Christ's name, amen.